blessing. Look, we want to thank everybody who donated to the church yard sale yesterday and provided food and all the things needed. I believe a little over $2,700 was raised yesterday, and uh, so we thank the Lord for that. Uh, and I would say, I, I, I would uh, venture to say about 300 people uh, were invited at least are invited to our church, and the gospel was put in their hands. And so we thank the Lord for the opportunity we had yesterday uh, to engage with our community uh, through this yard sale. Would you all do me a favor this morning? They don't want me to do this. They didn't ask me to do this. Uh, but Myra and Rita uh, were the ones who helped organize and get all that together. Could we give them a hand this morning and thank them uh, for the burden? God put a burden on their hearts, and they pursued it, and I thank the Lord for that. Uh, so we thank God for all that happened yesterday. Take your Bibles, go to Romans chapter number 7. Uh, Romans number 7 this morning. This morning we begin a new series for the next few weeks uh, titled The Power to Change. The Power to Change. I think for many of us the word uh, change might be a little bit intimidating. Uh, change is difficult. Change is hard. Uh, in many ways, we don't like change. You know, there's a lot that's, that's changing. Uh, as generations come and go, there's a lot that changes. I was sitting at the gate of one of Braden's basketball games, parents volunteer, and uh, they'd taken the money for everybody to come into the game, and a little while after we get there, and Braden comes up to me, and, and he said, Dad, he said, one of my friends uh, says, you got drip. I'm like, what's, what's drip? I mean, I wore deodorant. I'm not sweating. What's, what is drip? So Braden further explained that drip means you got style. That's the younger generation's word for you got style. So then I was like, oh, I got drip. That's a good thing. You know, there's a lot changing. You look at drip, you know, and then there's this other one that's called somebody, if they say, you know, uh, you know, you're rising up, you're trying to get the girl. If you get the girl, then you pulled. You see, there's a lot changing about, about I'm not sure about all these changes. But isn't it true, there is a lot changing about our culture, and change is difficult. You see, here, here's the truth, we, we don't like change, but many of us recognize that something needs to change in me. Something has to change in my life. Whether we admit it, whether we verbalize that or not, it's true. We all recognize things about ourselves that need to change. Uh, this is proven. I mean, it's proven in how much people diet, all the different diet plans they try, how many people you know, exercise as a topic of conversation, goal setting, financial planning, all kinds of these things people talk about often because they recognize there are some things that need to change. This is why self-help books continue to be bestsellers because people recognize that Something about me needs to change. I don't believe I'm looking at anybody this morning that doesn't have good intentions for their family or for themselves. We have good intentions. But the, the, the challenge we all have is we tend to celebrate good intentions. We tend to get excited about our intentions. But soon we realize that good intentions are never enough if something is going to change about me. Good intentions doesn't get it done. We'll start something within days, maybe a few weeks. We may even make it a few months. We quit. Our health still isn't where we want it to be. We will spend more money than we make. We will still uh, want to read the Bible daily and somehow something always gets in the way and we don't. This desire to change translates into every one of our lives 
spiritually, our walks of faith. We want to see change spiritually. We've hoped to see change spiritually. Some have tried their best to change certain things about themselves. Some are discouraged and defeated, wondering if change is even possible because they keep trying and they keep failing. In recent months, I've heard Christians describe themselves as being in a rut or being stuck. I've titled the message this morning as we begin this series, Climbing Out of the Rut. Climbing Out of the Rut. Many believers today feel frustrated with themselves, and this often morphs into frustrations with other people, creating relational tension. I dare say probably 100% of us have some type of relational tension in our life at this right, at right now at this moment. Many are exhausted, many are embarrassed, many are ashamed. They continue to struggle with the same stuff over and over again, whether it's an attitude, an action, some type of bad habits. They know there's a change that they need to make in their lives, and they keep trying, but they can never seem to figure it out. They can never seem to make it happen. See, here's a great reason that we look to the Bible, that we look to the Word of God, because when you do, you realize, I'm not alone. How many understand this morning, you're not alone? It's true. Whether you're struggling, whatever struggle, whatever season of life you're in, you're not alone. We know that the Apostle Paul wrote over half the New Testament. We know that he was greatly used of God. Outside of Jesus, the greatest preacher to ever live. God saved the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, changing him from a persecutor of Christians to a preacher of the gospel. But Paul struggled. He had some struggles in his life. And in our text, I appreciate his transparency. Because his transparency is comforting and helpful to me and to you. I want you to notice Romans 7, look at verse 15. Look at verse 15, he says this. What I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. Jump down to verse 19. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. Now jump down to verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Notice what Paul says. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. The text before us, Paul has been expounding on the flesh and the spirit, the conflict of our two natures as children of God. And he says, the things that I know I I need to do, I'm not doing. The things I know I shouldn't do, that's what I'm doing. He's detailing a struggle that I think you and I can all identify with. You see, you and I, we are good at identifying what is wrong with ourselves. We, we may not talk about it to anyone, even our spouse, but internally we know what's wrong with ourselves and, and can identify uh, something, sometimes many things, that we need to change. A few years ago I bought this ministry planner. Man, it was nice. I got this thing off Amazon for the whole year. I mean, every detail about ministry life was in this planner. I thought, man, I can detail everything. I can plan out every day. I can plan out my week. I can plan out my month, my year. I, you know, good intentions, right? You know, I, I loved, I was celebrating good intentions. I bought the thing, I spent money on the thing. I knew a change that I was wanting to make in my life at that place was to be more planned out and more organized. I used it a month. And then what happens? When you feel defeated, well, I wasted money. It was a good intention, but it was the wrong plan. You see, this is how we often start out, right intentions, but the wrong plan. See, our intentions often lead us to try, try, try. 
this is the wrong plan. I want to share this morning three principles that will help us climb out of the rut we find ourselves in, and I hope see the changes come about in our life that will glorify God. I want you to notice number one this morning, it's not about trying to change, but trusting Christ. It's not about trying to change, but trusting Christ. Verse 24, Paul said again, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of this death? Thanks be to God, through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says, so then on the one hand, I myself, uh, I, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. You see, the change that needs to take place in every person here, 100% of us. Now listen to me. You say, well, you don't know me. I, we don't, we've, we've spoken, but you don't really know me personally, uh, Pastor Luke. No, I'll tell you, I, I, I know enough to know that the 100% of us, the change that has to take place in every person here is spiritual. The change that you need to see happen in your life is spiritual in nature. You see, spiritual transformation needs to happen in you. That's what's got to take place. It's got, that's what's got to take place in my life, your life, in Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, it's not about trying to change bad habits or behavior. You see, there are many outside of Christ who reject Christ who are disciplined people that can change bad habits and change behavior, but they still lack real change in their lives because they don't experience spiritual transformation. You see, real change begins for you and for me when we are spiritually transformed through trusting Jesus Christ. You remember when the day Jesus saved you? You remember that day when you decided, you know what, I've had enough of trying to figure things out on my own. I remember when I was 17. As a pastor's son, grew up as a pastor's son, ran from it for years. Was under conviction for years that I needed to genuinely trust Christ. I remember the day when I was 17. I said, all right, I've had enough of trying to do this on my own. And I chose Jesus. What a wonderful peace to know that I have trusted Christ. Just as sure as I'm standing in front of you today, if I were to drop dead of a heart attack, God forbid, don't feel like God's through with me. Just as sure as I'm standing in front of you today, I know I'll go to heaven when I die. How many understand that's great peace? That's wonderful peace to live with. I'm thankful. But here's what happens. And this is what Paul is detailing in Romans 7. After we get saved, the flesh begins to get in the way. There's a war that rages within your soul between the old man and the new man. Because that old man is still active. That's why Paul said you need to put him to death. You need to render him inoperative. And that's something we have to do daily. That's something we have to continually battle in our lives. The flesh gets in the way and we begin to, uh, to adopt some wrong mentality. Sometimes even after we're saved. Even after we trust Christ. I want to show you a couple of these. Uh, the first mentality we have adopted that we've got, got to just kick to the curb is this. Uh, religion before relationship. Religion before relationship. Spiritually speaking, this, this mentality may be what is ingrained in us. I have to try harder. It's all about my effort. And I think many of us for decades living and growing up in the church uh, have traveled down this path. It's tiring. It's taxing. It's tragic. Uh, the message of this mentality says uh, that you know, God is the one who convicts me and draws me and saves me. Salvation's up to him, but the rest is up to me. That's what religion says. God says, I've saved you. Here's the mentality of religion. God says, I've saved you. Now you're on your own. I've done my part. You're on your own now. Figure it out. Try really hard. Religion before relationship. Here's the second tragic mentality, feelings before faith. Feelings before faith. Now, I dare say that maybe the greater percentage of Christians today, especially in America, 
live by their feelings more than they do their faith. They are dominated by their emotions. You see, we easily identify, we know what's wrong with us. Again, like Paul, we can recognize, you know, the things I know I should do, I'm not doing. Things I shouldn't do, that's what I'm doing. We we can recognize that. And then our feelings say, if this is going to get better, then you've got to do something about it. So we start doing all we can. We set out, I'm going to stop losing my temper. I'm going to quit getting angry, flying off the handle at people. I'm going to try to stop cussing. I'm going to try to stop lusting after women. I'm going to try to stop drinking and smoking. I'm going to try to get close to God. I'm going to try to stop spending hours scrolling through social media on my phone. I'm going to try to listen more and read more. Look, the list can go on and on forever with all of the stuff we say that I'm trying to do, the things we feel we need to do in our lives to change. This mentality leads to misery. Because here's what happens. As you try your best, at the end of it all, when you're defeated because it's just not working, you feel as if you'll never be enough. You feel defeated. You feel that you're never going to get this right. You feel like you're stuck. You feel like you're in a rut. This is why many struggle with doubting their salvation because they do not feel saved. Many walk by their feelings, not their faith. It's a tragic mentality. The first faulty mentality religion before relationship is all about my effort. The second faulty mentality, feelings before faith, it's all about how I feel. Here's the third tragic mentality, selfish before serving. Selfish before serving. Now, I would have to say that this mindset is the opposite of the first mindset. This mindset shifts all responsibility to God. I don't like my job. I guess God wants me to quit. So I quit. But I know God's going to provide. No, I'm not a good steward. I keep spending my money. Money I don't have. It's okay. God's going to take care of me. I'm going to get closer to God. You know, I haven't read my Bible in weeks or months. You know, it may have been a year or more since I read my Bible regularly. You know, I've not been faithful to church like I should be. I've not been gathering at church like I should be. And then we ask this question, why does God seem so distant? We shift blame to God. This mentality, selfish before serving, shifts blame to God, shifts all the responsibility to God. See, this mindset takes no responsibility. But there is a correct mentality that I want to challenge us all to live with this morning that Paul implores us to live with. This leads to my next point. I want you to notice number two. Grace that saves me is also the grace that changes me. Grace that saves me is also the grace that changes me. So it's not about trying harder, but trusting Christ. The grace that saves me is the grace that changes me. Nothing in your or my existence, now listen to me, Every hour here, nothing in your existence or my existence is about our goodness. Is that a true statement? Nothing is about our goodness. You see, it's not relationship or religion before relationship. 
It's not feelings before faith or selfish before serving. Those aren't the mentalities we have to live with. God's grace declares, look, that, that it, look, it's God, His grace through you that brings about change in your life. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 15. Go to 1 Corinthians 15 with me quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the writer's the same, the Apostle Paul. First Corinthians chapter 15 and go down to verse 9 with me. First Corinthians 15 and look at verse 9. Here's what Paul says. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. Now, now stop right here. He says, I am the least of the apostles. You see, before Paul met Christ, you and I know that Paul, with Stephen being martyred, being killed for his faith, Paul was the one holding the coats of those doing the stoning and murdering Stephen. See, he was a persecutor of the church before the road to Damascus. Paul was not somebody that you wanted to, uh, to be around if you were a Christian. In fact, after his conversion, we know that God had to use Barnabas to help the church realize it's okay. He's been saved. His people were intimidated, scared of Paul. So understanding his background, where he came from, what God saved him out of, we see this statement, his humility. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. Let's, let's continue reading. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now look at verse 10. But by the grace of God, <laughs> I am what I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I, what I am. Watch. And His grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Look, we know that Paul went on missionary journey, started church after the church, suffered persecution himself, a shipwreck, hardship, beaten, left for dead. That Paul had a life of faithfulness to God. We're reading the works of Paul this morning through the Holy Spirit's work in his life. This great man of God used mightily to do so much for God. He says, I worked harder. I worked even more than all of them. But watch what he says. He's not boasting here. He says, yet not I. But what does he say? But the what? The grace of God with me. You see, it was grace at work in the life of Paul that brought about spiritual transformation that resulted in his work for God. See, the whole message of the gospel is grace. What separates Christianity from every other religion in the world is one word, grace. Every other religion in the world, you've got to get out here and do something to earn it. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Somebody say hallelujah. Because there's nothing you and I have to do to purchase salvation. We have to trust Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Grace separates us. You see, because we can never be enough, do enough, become enough. Real change begins when we begin embracing this truth. His grace that, grace that saves me is the same grace that changes me. And after we get saved, it's like we revert back into this mentality. I've got to earn it, earn it, earn it. His grace that saves me is the grace that changes me. It's His grace empowering me to work for Him, to bring about the fruit of the Spirit in my life so I can glorify God as I live for His glory. See, spiritual transformation, again, that is what everyone needs. You see, often we never see change because we're seeking the wrong kind of change. Our motivation often is all wrong. Wrong. 
For change to be real and lasting, it's got to be spiritually motivated. How many agree Christians walk by faith? We live by faith. And so everything in our life has to be spiritually motivated. You see, because for spiritual transformation to happen in our lives, it has to be what? Spiritual. It's got to be spiritual. It has to be motivated and energized by the Holy Spirit, not our willpower. Because at some point, our willpower will be powerless. And that's why we quit so often. So here's what I, I got a couple things. Here's what we need to do this morning. You need to identify, if we are going to embrace this truth, grace that saves me is also grace that changes me. I've got to be motivated spiritually in everything that I do. You need to identify your spiritual reason. Identify your spiritual reason. You know, there could be some who are convicted over small things like screen time. I think on average it's like six to eight hours a day that a, an adult spends on their phone. And good night, if you're texting and talking for six or eight hours, bless your heart. But we know, but we know that's not what, what is happening, right? There's so much now that we're inundated with. Our phones are just these gods that we serve it dings and we go running you know, to find it if we don't have it on us. For some, it could be something like screen time. Here's the spiritual reason for something like that. See, the Bible tells us that God is love, right? And that I am to love other people, right? So we have to ask ourselves a heart-searching question. Is giving that amount of time to a non-living device honoring God who has called me to love Him and to love people? Loving others, loving God is the spiritual reason behind a small change like that. If someone will be better with money, spiritual reason, it all belongs to God. That's why we continue to give even when we don't have it. And we watch God bless. I'm called to be a good steward. I'm called to be generous. I'm, called, I'm a slave to the lender. Solomon said that is, these are the spiritual reasons behind why we should be better with money. I'm turning 40 this year. Look, I know I don't look a day over 30, but I'm turning 40 this year. Turning 40 this year. Me and Amanda were looking at our wedding album last night. It was um, missing for several years. And we cleaned out our attic. You can actually walk in our attic now. It's a blessing. And I, I pulled a box out. I don't think we had opened it since we moved. And at the bottom of this box, there it was. I'm a hero now. I found our wedding album. I was looking at that last night, and it hit me as I saw a picture of Amanda and her daddy, that I am the age of her daddy when he married us. That's a humbling thought, church. I'm going to be 40 this year. I said at the beginning of the year, I'm going to determine I'm going to be in the best shape that I've been in a long time when I turn 40 years old. I'm working toward that goal. I'm working toward it. But see, if my motivation is just to be in the best shape by 40, to, to prove something, it's the wrong motivation. You know what has began to motivate me in health? In the things that I consume? The Bible tells me that my body is the temple. The Bible tells me that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you know, if you don't take care of yourself... How can you take care of other people? Let me ask you a question. Oh, look, we missed this. We missed this. I just referenced a moment ago, we were supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is that true? Amen, that's true. The second commandment is like unto it. What does it say? Love your neighbor. Finish it. Hold on. Say it again. Love your neighbor what? 
So how in the world can you love other people if you don't love yourself? There's nowhere in the Bible that tells me and you that it's not okay to love yourself. Can I tell you something? God loves you. Amen? He loves you more than anybody else ever can or will. And the Bible says, David said that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Isn't that awesome? Like, I don't care what people have said to you about the way you look or the way you talk, the quirky little things that you do. Look, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And look, you need to dwell on what God thinks about you and not what everybody else thinks. Somebody say amen. A lot of young people are discouraged and defeated today and giving up on life because of the things people say. Let me encourage all the young people in this room. Hey, look, you be that young person that cares for the kid that's getting picked on. I remember being at camp one year, and when I was younger, God just, you know, I compassioned something that I had, and I got in trouble sometimes for picking on people. I would follow the crowd at times. We were at camp, and these kids were gathered around this little guy named Zach. They were picking on him. They picked him up and took him to the bathroom and, and, and gave him a swirly. The kid was, I mean, demoralized. They brought him back out, threw him in his bed, and the kid's just sitting there crying. I walked over to Zach and began to comfort him, and I was his friend, his bodyguard the rest of the week. <laughs> we kept in touch for years. Later on, he would go into the military, go into the Marines, and serve our country. Look, love yourself so you can better love people as God has called you to. Spiritual reason, spiritual motivation. See, we need to identify our spiritual reason, but also notice number two, identify your spiritual responsibility. Let's not stop and celebrate too much. Okay, I got a spiritual reason. No, we got we to gotta follow through here. It's because, it's, you know, this is real, look, it's real life. We can sit down, write down, this is the spiritual reason why God wants me to make this change in my life. But what does the change look like? What action do I need to take in my life? Zechariah 4, 6 says this, Not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Paul said it wasn't his hard work, but it was God's grace. So in any change that we make in our lives, no matter how small or how big, the first thing that we must do is this. Surrender it to God. Humbly, sincerely, get on your face before God and say, God, I know this needs to happen in my life, and I cannot accomplish it without your grace. I need your help. I heard it said that it is not my response ability, but my response to his ability. So the first thing we do is we respond to his ability and surrender to him. The second thing we need to do is have a plan. Several years ago, a change that I knew I needed to make in my life spiritually was to be more intentional in the mornings with my devotion, my time with God. Because what would happen in my, what was going on in my life then as a pastor is I would often wait. I would sleep as long as I could. And I would get up and then start my day, and I'm like, I'm going to get to it. I'll get to it. <laughs> day would start, the hurry of everything, the busyness. The day would get away. The next thing I know, I would be in bed that night. 
and conviction jump over me. Luke, you've not even talked, spoken to me today. You've not let me speak to you today. So several years ago, I committed this change to the Lord. I said, all right, Lord, I need to make a change. I need your help. So the plan I made was to get up at 5.30 to 5.45 in the morning time and spend time with God before taking the kids to school. For the entirety of that year, most mornings, I stuck with this plan. And I can look back and say that that year transformed my devotion life. That there was a spiritual transformation that began to take place in this pastor. About my daily quiet time with God. This year I added journaling to my devotion life. It was a needed change that I needed in my life as I continued to grow and and mature spiritually. And again, I can see how God has used journaling this year to deepen my faith and my walk with Him. Look, don't be complicated, but practical as you identify your responsibility, as you make your plan, surrender it to the Lord, and then pursue the changes you need to make. And the third thing is this, be faithful. Look, make a plan, but be faithful. Because there are going to be setbacks. There's going to be times you don't follow through. Focus on, look, and write this down, because this will help you like it helped me, I hope. Focus on progression not perfection. Focus on progression, not perfection. See, there may be some here this morning who are battling addiction on some level. You know that you need to change, but it seems like it's impossible. It could be an addiction to a substance. It could be a pornography addiction. Some may be struggling in their marriage. They know something's got to change. Boy, it feels impossible. For others, it may be something else, your anger, your deceit. And I want to encourage you, look, Christ in you is stronger than the desires in you. Again, we, we often, when we struggle to make changes in our life, even when we set out, we've committed it to God, uh, we, we've made a plan, we're seeking to be faithful, and we have a setback. We, uh, we regress back into old habits and behavior that make us feel ashamed. We revert back to our feelings. We allow our feelings to take over. But always remember, Christ in you is stronger than the desires in you. Aren't you thankful for 1 John 4, 4 that God gave us in his word through the apostle John that says, greater is he, y'all finish it, that is in me than he that's in the world. Christ is stronger than any addiction, any uh, evil desires that you face in your life. He is stronger. That's why we walk by our faith and not by our feelings. Look, you'll never be disciplined enough to make all the changes you need to make. It's Christ in you that brings about change in your life. Look, when you are tempted to indulge in a substance, it's Christ in you that empowers you to abstain. When you're tempted to look at something that you should not look at, whether it be on the internet, the TV, your phone, or whatever the case may be, Every man in this room faces that temptation. Thank you, brother, for your honesty. All of us do. What helps me every day of my life not to indulge in lust is Christ in me to abstain. When you are tempted to lose your cool with your children, Hey, look, am I the only one, or are you ever tempted to lose your cool with your kids? I'll tell you, Braden's a sharp-looking guy. He looks like his daddy. Amen. There's been times I've had to go to Braden and apologize because I've lost my cool with Braden. I'm ashamed of that. When you're tempted to lose your cool with your kids, it is Christ in you that empowers you. To practice what Solomon said when he said a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Is Christ in you? See, real change begins to happen 
when we realize that it's His grace that saves me. It's His grace that changes me. And I want you to notice number three and last, I'm going to move quickly this morning. Lasting change is about our hearts, not our habits. Lasting change is about our hearts, not our habits. If you change your habits, but don't change your heart, here's just a few things that will happen. The first thing is this, you'll deviate back to old habits. See, the greatest evidence of a changed heart is a changed life. Real and lasting change in someone's life reflects the power of God. This is why it's not about trying, but trusting Jesus. It's spiritual motivation and spiritual power. So question for everybody here, aren't you tired of being in this spiritual rut? Maybe that you find yourself in. Aren't you tired of being stuck? You've tried changing, but you still work too much. You still neglect your family. Your marriage is still barely hanging on. You still click and look at things that you shouldn't look at. You still need a substance to sustain you. You're still quick to skip church on weekends for a hobby or some other form of entertainment. You're still holding a grudge. You're still angry with somebody. Look, isn't that just a, a, a terrible way to live life? Aren't you tired of it yet? Why do we continue to do the things over and over again that make us feel shame? Why do we continue this cycle of deviating back to old habits? There are many reasons we could talk about, but one primary reason is this. The problem you have, and this leads to the second point here, is disregard for God's grace. You're trying to meet a need or relieve a hurt with something besides God's grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, God said, my grace is what? Sufficient. It's all you need. It's all you need. That's how our hearts change. So it's not about changing habits. It's about changing our hearts. In our opening text, Paul detailed the struggle that he had. Things he knew he should be doing, he's not doing. Things he knew he shouldn't be doing, he said, that's what I'm doing. He said, who can help? Who can help? this wretched man that I am. Thank God Jesus can. Thank God Jesus can. He later stated, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's God's grace working in me. You see, when I mess up, it's grace that, that saves me, changes me, forgives me, and strengthens me. It's not about changing our habits, but it's about spiritual transformation in our hearts. Church, listen to me very carefully. Look, I'm about done. I've been a little bit longer today than usual. I apologize. I'll take that back. I don't because we need this. We need this. I'm hungry too, all right? About finished. Jesus did not come to make you better. He didn't come to make me better. He came to rescue, save, change, and free us. For the Son of Man, Jesus said, has come to seek and to save the lost. That's you and me. 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save, to save sinners. John 3.16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world. That's a lie of the devil, by the way. Well, God's so condemning? No, he's not. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, change is not trying, but trusting Jesus. His grace that saves us is also grace that changes us. And lasting change is about our hearts and not our habits. Nothing, listen to me very carefully, nothing in your life will ever make sense. You will never see lasting change in your life in the misery that you find yourself in of poor decisions, mess-ups, Nothing 
will ever happen until you trust Jesus Christ. Nothing. And there are some here today that may need to do that. You've never trusted Christ. Would you please trust him today? Let's stand together for prayer. Father, thank you for your word today. And God, there needs to be a change to take place in your church today. And God, we need to see it happen. And God, we know the only way it'll happen is through your grace. We're trusting you. God, we often try to work things up. We, 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 we stir emotions. We... We try to create something that only you can create. And God, I pray right now today that, Lord, you would work in each heart, the hearts of believers, Lord, the hearts of those here today that may be lost, they've rejected you, they don't know that heaven's their home. And, and God, they find themselves miserable and empty. And God, I just pray today they would know that they can find everything they are looking for in this life, the peace they need, the joy they need the change they need in Christ. And so, God, I just pray for each person here today. With every head bowed and every eye closed as Brother Eric begins to play, Sister Lori. There may be some here today that need to trust Christ. You've tried a lot of different things in your life. Currently, maybe you're trying church to bring satisfaction or to help you feel a certain way about life but you've yet to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Look, change will never happen until you first trust Christ as Savior. So I'm asking every person here to consider what needs to happen right now in your life. As sure as you're standing here right now hearing me uh, talk, are you sure that heaven's your eternal home? Do you know that you're going to heaven when you die? Have you trusted Christ for salvation? If you're wrestling with that question, I invite you to pray right now and ask the Lord for forgiveness of sin and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Maybe you need to tell him you can't do this on your own any longer. You need his grace, his forgiveness. You need him to take over and be the Lord of your life. Please call on him now. You can do it right there where you stand. Call on Jesus to save you. Others this morning, they know they've trusted Christ. They know they're believers. They've, they know they're a Christian. They know heaven's their home, but yet they find themselves in this rut. Have you began living your Christian life like it depends on you? You find yourself trying more than trusting. You've become influenced by your feelings more than your faith. Maybe you've just pushed all the blame and responsibility on God. What is the change that you know you need to make this morning? What is the change that God has impressed on your heart? I encourage you to come to the altar this morning and surrender that change to Him right now. Father, help us in this moment to be obedient. God, I thank you for the truth of your word and how it helps us. In Christ's name, amen.
Sandy Patrick, I'm going to ask you to close us in prayer.